And if so, what, what actually is good about us? We probably all have different answers to that, but let me remind you of the one, or one of them, given by our former president, Ronald Reagan. Mr. Reagan said that what's worth celebrating about this country is that here, a person can get rich. I think he meant any person, just about anybody. Was he right? Was Mr. Reagan capturing the essence of why it is important that America is great, that this is a country where you and I can get rich? There's that four-letter word, rich. What's the nearest synonym, wealthy? Let me ask you, do these two words apply to you? What is rich? I think it's pretty clear what Mr. Reagan meant by it, but can there be another kind of rich? Do you think of yourself as rich? And if so, in what sense? Or is there only one sense of rich? I want to suggest to you that on this weekend, the next time you go into prayer, be straight with God and with yourself about this. Ask about what, about what your situation is, your own individual life, in regard to riches, to wealth, and how you feel about that. Be straight with God about that. I think it's important to raise this question on, the, on our 240th 4th of July, because we're in the middle of an unusual and important election season in which we've had several of our major candidates speaking very frequently and very loudly about who is rich and who is not rich here in America. There are evidently a lot of people in this country, more than we thought, who don't feel rich. Bill Clinton, who, as you know, succeeded Mr. Reagan as president, was a bit more nuanced than Reagan on this subject. When someone asked him during one of his election campaigns what the real issue was in the campaign, he said, it's the economy, stupid. The economy, the arena in which people get rich or not. You know, actually, there's a lot of evidence today that on the whole, the United States of America and its people are wealthier than we have ever been before. But we've got two problems. The first is that for whatever reason, a tremendous inequality has developed. There is a very small group of people who control an ungodly amount of wealth. But then also a great many people who have only a comparatively 
tiny amount of wealth compared to that very small group of very wealthy people. And that is producing a growing amount of resentment toward this small group of rich people and then also toward the people who hold political power who let this small group allegedly get away with having so much wealth. And you know, resentment is never a good thing in a person or in a society. It's actually a very destructive thing. It makes people unable to think clearly or to take any kind of creative approach towards solving a given problem. That's what resentment does. I'll tell you my conviction. In the United States of America, there is absolutely no excuse for this glaring inequality in material wealth and income. The richer a country is, and you know, we Americans as a whole, compared to the rest of the world, are really, really rich the less excuse there is for that kind of thing. And I must say that anyone who really pays any attention at all to the Bible understands that there is no excuse for that kind of inequality. And that anyone who colludes consciously with this glaring and totally unjust and unnecessary inequality comes under the judgment of God. We in the churches are under obligation to call attention to this economic injustice and to work against it. Work hard not just by sharing our own wealth, but also by getting out there and writing letters and phoning people and attending political meetings, and of course, praying. So that's one problem. But then there's another problem, and this goes to the spiritual level of our existence. We have to be careful about blaming somebody else out there for this glaring situation of inequality because it's something that all of us are participating in in one way or another. The gospel text for today does not speak of inequality, although certainly there was tremendous inequality in Jesus' day. It speaks of something else, and this something else, it's a five-letter word beginning with G and ending with D. A man came to Jesus and said to him, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Anybody ever heard, knows of a family quarrel over who gets to inherit what from mom and dad? Well, did Jesus agree to do that for this guy? No. Why wouldn't he? I mean, if anyone could see to it that an inheritance was divided fairly, it would be Jesus, wouldn't it? Well, he saw what was going on with this guy. And so he said, take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. There's that five-letter word, greed. Poor Jesus. He just lived too long ago. He didn't know anything about capitalism, how wonderful it is, the glories of capitalism. He didn't know about economic growth. He didn't know about upward mobility. You can't blame Jesus for being ignorant about all these things that have made the United States great, can you? Then Jesus tells a parable, and tradition has called this the parable of the rich fool. Get that, rich fool. I mean, isn't that a contradiction? If you're rich, you're by definition not a fool, right? And if you're a fool, you're not ever going to become rich. You know the story. The land of a man produced abundantly, but he had a problem. He had no place to store all of his extra crops, the possibility of just giving the surplus crops to, to poor folks who might be struggling, that didn't even occur to him. He has a brainstorm. He's going to pull down his barns and build bigger ones, and here he's talking to himself. Soul, you have ample goods now. You've got so much laid up for many years. Eat, drink. Be merry. The only thing is, he got a message from on high. You fool! You fool! This very night, your life is coming to an end. And all the stuff you've stored up and hoarded, whose then will it be? I mean, buddy, do you really believe, do you really believe that he who dies with the most toys wins? Really? And Jesus concludes, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves and are not rich toward God. Rich toward God. How is it with us? Are we, in some sense, rich toward God? Do we know what that is? Do we want to know what that is? Do we desire to be richer toward God than we are? Do I desire that? Because I can't raise this question with you unless I also ask it of myself. The tough thing is, the more we have of worldly goods, riches, wealth, and you and I as Americans have more than 80 or 90% of the people of the world, the harder it is even to know 
what it is to be rich toward God. You know the things Jesus said about what was easier, the camel going through the eye of the needle or a rich person getting into the kingdom of God? Do you think he was exaggerating about that? Do you think he was really merely just asking a rhetorical question when he said, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Could Jesus himself maybe have had some hidden resentment toward the rich and envy of them? Or did he know when he was talking about what he was talking about when he said that the, the only real riches is being rich toward God? Was he speaking to us, to you and me, when he warned us not to store up treasures for ourselves? Or was he speaking not to us, but, but to the 1%? You know, the, 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 the people dear old Bernie Sanders has had in his sights for months now. I've already told you, I like Bernie Sanders a lot. I've sent him money. I'm very glad he's there. But Bernie has a bit of a tendency to uh, scapegoat those very rich people, to make them into the bad guys and us, whose votes he wants, into the good guys. I would like Bernie Sanders, who I think is a, an enormously fine human being with a great deal of integrity, I would like him, though, to point out to us that the 1% would not have gotten where they are if most of the rest of us had not bought in to the very same ideology they have of capitalism, consumerism, economic growth. It's the economy, stupid. I, I, I'm, I'm asking us, I'm hoping that we will listen to Jesus. He's telling us it's not the economy. It's not worldly wealth. It's our relationship to God and our putting all of our worldly goods at God's disposal. That's where it's at for us human beings. Now, there are, there are a lot of folks who understand this, who get this. I read a couple of days ago that last year the American people contributed $375 billion to charitable organizations. On this 4th of July weekend, we can celebrate, can't we, that there are American people, quite a lot of American people, who are generous, extremely generous, in sharing what they have. Whether they're religious people or not, whether they know it or not, these folks are rich toward God. 
But you know, other things equal, it's a, it's, a, it's a million times better to know why you're being generous, to know why it feels so good to share what you have, to live as simply as possible so that other human beings can simply live. It's better to know why it is wise to be wary of getting too invested psychologically and emotionally in the toys of this world, the comforts of this world. I hope and I trust that we know why that's dangerous. Do we feel in our deepest hearts this impulse of generosity, this impulse of sharing, this, this longing to be less focused on what we can get for ourselves and more focused on other aspects of our lives such as the beauty and wonder of this moment, that of the person, this other person who's with us right now, this tree, this blossom, and then also, above all, the mystery of the Holy One who dwells within us and who loves us and will always love us more than we can imagine. All of that is part of what Jesus calls being rich towards God. And my wish for all of us for this 240th 4th of July holiday is that we will have some really quiet, relaxing, fulfilling, wonderful moments of feeling rich toward God. Amen.